The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." Imagine with me that uh, you have a, a family tree, a family line of people uh, who own like a, a thousand hectare cattle farm, dairy farm, whatever, right? And, and they have for hundreds and hundreds of years, the family line have been fighting for, working for, um, producing this incredible farm. And one day it comes down the family line and it is given to you. You do nothing to earn it. You do nothing to have it. It's literally, purely given to you based on somebody else's work and ethic. Somebody else has fought for it. Somebody else has earned it. Somebody else has done all that is needed for it. And they give it to you free of charge. That would be awesome. We're like, wow, I've done nothing to earn this, yet I have it. This is how we talk about Christianity. Christianity, in essence, is not something that we earn. We don't do anything to be right with God. We don't do anything for God to love us. We don't do anything in order for God to accept us. Jesus did the work. Jesus has done all that is necessary, done it all previously, and he offers it to us as a free gift. If you're here and you're not a Christian, this is the difference between the Christian worldview and every other worldview. This is not you working for something, you doing something in order to earn it. It's a gift, it's free, you simply receive it. However, what Paul does in this particular passage is through the book of Ephesians, he's been saying this dairy farm, this cattle farm has all been done for you. It's all there. It's yours. Freely receive it by faith. However... I'm going to finish telling you that whilst it was not earned, you did nothing to get it, you are going to have to work in order to enjoy its blessings. You need to know that within this cattle farm and this dairy farm, there are things that you need to be aware of that are enemies that want to destroy the farm. There is climate change. There is soil erosion. There are birds of prey and things up in the air. There is things in the ground and beneath the surface that are going to come against. There is, uh, there is drought. There is fire. There are winds. There are these sorts of things that are going to come against to try and destroy your cattle farm, your dairy farm. 
So what he does in this particular passage is he says, hey, listen, this is all yours for free, but it is going to take effort for you to enjoy the blessing. For you to enjoy what has been given to you freely by God, you need to be aware that there is an enemy. There are things coming against your joy and your peace and your comfort of what it means to be in a right relationship with God. And you need to fight against them. So in the Christian context, uh, how many people here know C.S. Lewis? Great. Okay, you can all now be my friends. For those of you who didn't put up your hands... Come see me after, I'll introduce you to him and then we'll be friends. Uh, C.S. Lewis is my favourite author that has ever written a book. Uh, every Monday night uh, in the last sort of few years, my son and I have been reading just C.S. Lewis works. Uh, and one of the books that we read a couple of years ago was called Screw Tape Letters. I don't know if you've ever heard it. It's a fascinating read. It's C.S. Lewis kind of in his element of being incredibly uh, creative, but essentially it's this sort of spin on the devil and what, he, what he's like and how he works. And so it's this story and it's kind of got all these different things where Wormwood is talking to this guy and he's sort of saying, this is how I'm going to do it. But in the beginning of this book, I think C.S. Lewis gives us something which is really, really helpful to understand spiritual warfare. Two errors, essentially, that he gives before he gets into to the book. This is his introduction. What C.S. Lewis says is he says there are two really big errors that we can get into with when we're speaking spiritual realms, demonic realms, and spiritual warfare. The first one is superstition. That is this obsessive overbelief. Everything is the devil. Everything is a spiritual curse. Everything is his fault and not ours. And so what he says is like, there are people who would say, well, I'm unwell because the devil is attacking me. Maybe. Also, you can be unwell because you eat McDonald's three times a day and you're not taking any personal responsibility for the body that God has given you. And so maybe it's not a spiritual attack. Maybe it's poor eating habits. I'm financially in distress. The devil's attacking me. Could be. Or it could also be that you haven't been a good financial steward with what God has given you. And so you've, you've had greed in your heart and you've gone and spent money on things that you don't need to impress people you don't even know. So C.S. Lewis warns against this idea that everything is a spiritual attack. Everything is a generational curse that needs to be cut off. And in this view, the devil is always portrayed as this super duper scary being that you must at all times be afraid of. And what this view leads to is an unhealthy fear and anxiety and a lack of equipping us as Christians, for those of us who are Christians in the room, with the right weapons. This was my early church Christian experience. We would, we would go in and we would pray against the devil for hours and hours and hours. We'd pull down strongholds, we'd do all sorts of things, and then over here we would not change our behavior at all. So we'd fight against marital attacks, but then we wouldn't equip ourselves with what the Bible says as to how to have a good marriage. So it was just all the enemy. But then he warns, there's not just superstition, there's also substition. Substition is a dismissive underbelief. That is that there is no devil. That he isn't active. That he isn't trying to attack us. Now in more conservative churches like ours, yours and mine, this might be where some of us sit. 
We see the devil as just this fairy tale. Everything bad in my life is simply bad luck, cause and effect. The, the enemy either doesn't exist or he's completely defeated, so therefore we don't need to concern ourselves with spiritual warfare. And what this view does is it leads to an unhealthy ignorance, pride and self-reliance of taking up the weapons of our warfare. So for me, I was in this camp, I overswung over to this camp and my prayer life dropped. Because I didn't feel like I needed to pray as much because I knew all the truth now about what Jesus has done for me. And so I, I personally overswung and I've had to come back. And so within our, within our church, I've been sort of repenting a little bit to our church saying, hang on a second, I, I need to come back this way and help our church to come back this way to realize there is an enemy. And he hates our guts. And he wants to separate you from God. And he is going to use all of his tactics of deception, temptation, accusation to try and get you to not believe in God, to not follow God, to not enjoy God, to not trust God, to not experience peace with God. And so the Bible tells us that the devil is real. But it also tells us that God is the ruler. So therefore, you and I do not need to be afraid of him like the superstitious would. We can trust that God rules over Satan, sin and death. And so we live as Christians with that God. And so we can warfare. We can, we can sort of go into battle with a sense of not fear, but faith. To know, well, God has equipped us. God has given us tools. God has taught us how we are to fight. And as you looked at sort of the last two weeks... It's the sense that we are not just fighting within our own strength. It's not just being better and doing better and, and trying to be hard, sort of good Christians. And I'm just going to, oh, and it's all in our own strength. It's literally we fight in the power of the strength of God. That God is not only with the Christian, God is in the Christian, helping us to resist and to fight. And last week you looked at, with Pastor Jimmy, this idea of the belt of truth being the first piece of this, this armor. And so we are to inform our minds and learn the truths about God and to, to allow those things to inform us how we see the world, how we feel in the world and how we live our lives. And today I want to talk to you about the breastplate of righteousness. That is the second piece that we saw in that passage that Nick read out. And so what I want to look at is what is the breastplate, what is righteousness, and then how do we actually put it on? What does that look like in practice? Because I don't know if you've been in church for a while, but in church we can often just talk theories and ideas, and then we're like, that sounds wonderful. And we go on in our lives. It's like, but how do I do that? What does that actually look like in practice? So that's where I want to finish today. So, number one, what is the breastplate? Well, in many ways, this is probably something that we understand, right? A breastplate is something that goes over our torso, right? If you, if you think a Roman soldier is putting something that would go over the front and the back of their body in order to protect what? The vital organs, the things that are on the inside, right? It's the idea of this is not necessarily a weapon. It is a defensive mechanism so that others can't get in there and get to your vital organs, now, the Bible presents the heart of the person as the most vital organ. 
The breastplate is to protect us in this battle because the enemy wants to get at our heart. And in the Bible, it doesn't just mean physiological, right? It's the idea of the heart is that central, immaterial part of who you are. It's how you think, how you feel. It's your will, your mind, your emotions. It's all of those things sort of tied up. It's your disposition. The enemy wants to get there. So what Paul says here is, hey, Christian, you're in a spiritual battle. Everything in this world is trying to get to your heart to try and draw your heart away from a vibrant, joyful relationship with God, a vibrant faith. And the enemy has his ways of trying to get to our heart. And so I want to look at Proverbs 4.23. It'll come up on the screen. I think this is a really important verse, and we're going to kind of follow it at the end as to what it tells us as to how we do this. But Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep... That word keep there means either guard or protect your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. In other words, out of here, out of this internal part of you, this immaterial soul, this heart, comes everything in your life. And so we have to guard it. We have to protect it. We have to watch it. We can't just allow uh, things of just this life to come in. Some of us have been through really, really difficult things in life. We've experienced major hardships. And in those hardships, the enemy wants to come in and get into your heart and say, see, God can't love you because if he loved you, he wouldn't have allowed that to happen. Some of us have gone through divorces or lost jobs or experienced great suffering. And the enemy just wants to get to our heart. Often in the West where you and I live, I'm going to say more so for where you live. The enemy just wants to cool your heart and go, look at all the nice things you can have. Why be on fire for Jesus when you could just go to the beach and be on fire there? Because this is your everyday I got to drive an hour to get to that beach. So I'm like, nah, that's an hour. I don't need the beach. But you, it's six minutes. (laughs) Grab the coffee. Grab the croissant. Sit in the sun. Go home and go, why do I need Jesus, man? I've got Caloundra. The Bible talks about it being hard for the rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. That is the ones who have everything. Why do we need God? I have money. I've got a house. I've got a car. I've got family. I've got kids. I've got the job. Like, I'm fine. That's often how the enemy gets to us. It's like, we're fine. We're good. I've got many friends that aren't Christians, and they just say to me, Why do I need God? Look at my life. It's awesome. I'm happy. I won't tell you what my response is, but I try and point out how actually they're not happy. So that's the heart. And Paul is saying you've got to guard that. You have to be not just ignorant of that. You've got to protect that. You've got to watch that. Secondly, what is righteousness? Well, I think the easiest way to explain righteousness is to kind of show you how we do this in the ordinary everyday. Okay? 
Because most people would, would see that word righteousness and think it's a spiritual word or it's just a Christian word. Now, there is a Christian bent on it. There is a Christian sort of uh, perspective on it. But in essence, every single human being desires and longs for righteousness. It's actually a part of what makes you and I human. We're all doing this all the time. We long for it and we need it. Righteousness literally just means to be approved, to be accepted, to be presentable. It means to measure up. So you apply for that very exclusive university, like Harvard or University of the Sunshine Coast. Pretty close in stature, I believe. You do all the study, you do all the work, right? You, do, you, you make all the effort, then you put in and you apply for that uni. And then you get that, that letter back in the mail and it says, you have been approved. We appreciate you. We accept you. You have been presentable to us. How does that make us feel? Good. We're elated. We're like, wow, I have been accepted. I have been approved. I got in. Now, this is not directed to Nick, but Nick can take this next one on. You have that particular friend of the opposite sex and you're in the friend zone. And you want to get beyond the friend zone. And you're like, okay, we're kind of friends. I kind of have this other thing. I kind of see her. Or I see him in a way that I'm not sure that they see me. And so we're getting on. We've got these connections. We've got these things in common. And now I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to sort of go the next step and go, hey, can we define this relationship? Is there more? Can we have more? Anyone remember doing that? It's like, Oh, this is scary right now. I'm going to ask you. And then we do that. And we have that moment. And what we're looking for is, will you accept me? Will you approve me? Am I presentable to you? And when they come back and say, I feel the same way, then you do. You run home. You can't believe it. And they're like, man, I've got to get a ring on that because as soon as she works out how I've tricked her into this thing and I've fooled her somehow, as soon as, if she has more than 48 hours, she is going to realize the mistake she's made. So let me go beyond that and propose and then she's like dude you're moving fast I'm like dang it I'm so confused I don't know what to do right there are so many ways in our culture when you go for that job when you put in that tender when you put in that proposal when you put that pitch together when you put in the resume when you organize that info night for a future church plant in Caloundra and some people actually rock up and then some people actually stay, you actually walk away going, wow, I feel presentable. This is what righteousness is. And you and I, whether we're Christian or not Christian, we are constantly living in a state of desiring to feel and experience what it means to be presentable, to be accepted. How do we feel in these moments? We feel a sense of overwhelming, radiant joy. We have been examined and yet we have been approved and presentable. So now the Christian aspect of this is the fact that you and I are made by God and therefore we have a deep need and a deep desire to be like that with God. We want to be seen but approved. We want God to accept us. We want God to see us as presentable. We want God and we need God to actually say, I accept you and delight in us. But you and I have a problem. We have this thing called sin 
And we have this God who sees all things. You see, I can come here today and put a front onto you and you can think things about me because I'm able to present well enough. Some of you are like, no, no, we've seen right through you from the very beginning. Your presentable skills aren't that great. Jimmy's doing good, not so much you, right? But there is a sense in which you can go to the workplace, you can go to the university, you can have those things in, in these relationships where we kind of can put it on enough, right? That's the, that's the honeymoon sort of first few months of dating. It's like my best version of you is coming to you right now. And then over time, they start to see the real you. And that's when they need to make a decision. And that's when you've got to just keep up presenting men. Just young men, just keep presenting as long as you can so you can convince her. The problem is we can't do that with God. God sees us as we are all the time. So what we do is we try to put certain things on in order to help God to love us and accept us. And so we're not always righteous. Some days we are, some days we're not. God sees everything and we often stand before God in a way that we know isn't up to scratch. And so what we do is what we follow the example of our first parents. Pastor Jimmy talked about this last week, that in the garden, Adam and Eve are in a right relationship with God. And the language in, in Genesis is that they were naked and unashamed. Right? It's, not just, it's not just purely trying to talk physiologically. It's saying God knows everything about them and they literally have no fear of how God sees them. But as soon as sin enters the story... Now it says that they are ashamed and they run from God and they hide from God and then they put fig leaves to try and cover themselves up from God. And from the beginning up until now, this is what we do in our relationship with God. We either run. Think about it. How many times have you gone... I don't think God loves me. I don't think God will accept me. I don't think I'm going to pray to him. I feel this shame about where I'm at. And I don't think he can love the real me. I don't think he can accept the real me. He sees the real me. I know the real me. And I just don't know whether he'll want me. And so often what we do is we walk away from God. Or we put fig leaves on. And so what I love about the Bible is the Bible is extremely honest with this, but it is also extremely helpful. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, this is hugely important for you to understand of what God offers us. And if you're here and you are a Christian, you need to be reminded of this today. Two things about Christian righteousness according to the Bible. The Bible kind of gives us these two sides to a coin. First is this imputed righteousness. Now, it sounds like a big theological term. It literally just means it's credited to you. It's given to your account. So the, the Old Testament story is that there is no way for people to be made right with God in and of themselves. God must do something for the human. And so it's all the way, the whole Old Testament with the Adam and Eve story is pointing to this answer that one day God will come in human flesh. He will die a death. Then he will rise again to new life and he will give you, put onto your account that righteousness. He will do the work on our behalf. 
It's the sense of being legally righteous. The judge declares you and I not guilty. I don't know whether you've ever stood before a judge before. I don't know whether this is good confession time or bad confession time, but I have. So as I was coming into uh, sort of the church, I was exploring faith. I got into a situation which led me to have to go and stand before a judge and get declared guilty. (laughs) And that guilt led me to doing 280 hours community service, being on a probation uh, for 12 months and losing my license for 12 months. That feeling of standing before a judge and being declared guilty was one of the most horrible feelings in my life. Like, talk about your guts just being, like, you dry reaching. It's like, I cannot believe this. My whole life was shattered. The opposite is true with God. It's you go into God and God looks at you and he says, innocent. No record, completely clean. I don't even know why we're having this courtroom moment. This person has done nothing wrong. They are innocent and free to go. That's what the Bible is talking about when we talk about imputed righteousness. Jesus' record of all the right he has done goes onto your account and the judge sees you and he says, free to go. What, no community service? No community service. Really? But I like doing all the weeds in that particular cafe. I loved that. That was so good every Saturday for eight hours every Saturday. Free. This is one of the most wonderful things about being a Christian is I never fear what God thinks of me, ever. Because he says, free, gone, dealt with, done. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. That word is tetelestai. It means paid in full. Debt is paid up. So if there was a, like a, a sort of a, a judgment that could be passed, it's already been fulfilled and now you and I are free. So Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. If you are a follower of Jesus and you ever feel condemnation, that is spiritual warfare because that is not from God. We sing songs that say, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust in the sweetest frame but holy on Jesus' name. So there is a sense of imputed righteousness, but there's this other side of the coin. It's imparted righteousness. That is, that that righteousness that Jesus has doesn't just go to our account. The Spirit of God puts it into our hearts and starts to work it out. So if you've been a Christian for just a couple of years, you should be able to look back and go, man, I'm not who I want to be, I'm not where I could be, but I'm not where I once was. God has done stuff in my life and he has grown me. And I'm not that man. I'm not that woman. I'm not that person yet, but I'm not there. And that is God's imparted righteousness slowly working out of your life. And the thing about the Christian life, if you're here and you're a new Christian, you've got to be patient with yourself. Babies... Like when I've got four kids, I did not smack my child when they were four months and were crying because they were hungry. Right? You you don't discipline a baby. They're a baby. My, My child now is 12, my oldest boy. 
when he complains about being hungry, I don't smack him. <laughs> Come here, you little. <laughs> no, I don't do that. Um, but I do say, well, you're a big boy. Why don't you open up a cupboard, like, you know, the arms, and just open that up and reach out and get something. <laughs> you can do that, right? This sense in like God is patient with us. And God allows us time and God over time works by his spirit through the word of God with the people of God in order to grow us in our righteousness. So that over time you and I become more and more victorious. This is Jesus' righteousness placed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit to over time grow us to living like Christ. So we begin to grow in love. We begin to grow in patience. We begin to grow in gentleness. And both of these are true. But here's really important to the Christian faith and to the gospel message. The order of those matters. Religion says, imparted righteousness, when you start to live that stuff out, then imputed righteousness, now God loves and approves you. The gospel message, the Bible message is the opposite. It's not when you start doing it, that then God approves you. It's that God already approves you. He's already done something for it. So now in your heart, you are freed to then live it out. You are now motivated in your heart. He already loves me. He already accepts me despite me. And so now I'm free to go, well, I'm going to give this a crack now. It motivates and fuels the heart of the Christian. But the religious mindset says, well, God can't love you. God won't love you until you live it. So it's not that it's either or, it's both hand, but I think the order is really important. So now let's get practical. How do we put this righteousness on, both the imputed and the imparted? How do we fight? Okay, remember the enemy's weapons are deception, accusation and temptation. His goal is to separate you from loving God, knowing God, enjoying God, having peace with God, experiencing forgiveness with God. That's what the enemy wants you to not experience. Well, let's go back to that Proverbs 4 scripture. So Proverbs 4, 23, it'll come up on the screen. It says, keep, guard, protect that heart with all vigilance. For from it flows the springs of life. And then he tells us how. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. And do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So another way to read that, if we can go to the next slide, is... What the, 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 the writer of Hebrews is giving us this wisdom. He says, here's how you guard your heart. Watch your speech. Watch what you let come out of your mouth. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Watch your focus. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Watch your thoughts. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure and watch your direction. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Watch your words. Watch your focus. Watch your thoughts and watch your direction. Now let me give you just two examples that might help sort of give some practicality to how we do this. Okay, example number one is like the enemy comes to your mind and he says, look at you. No one else can see all the hidden thoughts. I see them all. God sees them all. 
and God is not happy with you. You know when you raise your hand and you're singing like, I love you, Lord, but in your heart you're like, but I hate her, don't like him, why are they here, they've hurt me, they've done this. Like nobody else sees that. And the enemy's like, but God sees it. And now he doesn't like you. He won't accept you. He doesn't love you. God's displeased with you. You're a bad Christian. You're a poor Christian. You're a bad mum. You're a terrible mum. You're a bad brother. You're a terrible sister. This is accusation. This is what he does. And what the writer here is saying, well, now watch your words. So don't agree with him with that. Because that's not the truth. So you need to put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and you need to say, hmm, well that's partly true, but it's not totally true. So here's how I often will do it. It's like, thank you, Satan. Thank you, enemy, for pointing out my sin. I was so unaware of it. But now that I know it, I can turn to Jesus and actually bring it to him because he already loves me, he already approves me, and he has taught me, and he has told me that whenever I'm experiencing difficulty with sin, that I'm not to run and hide from him in shame, but I'm actually to come to him and ask for help, and his face is set before me. He looks at me in delight and says, come, son, come, come to me so I can help you and grow you. I'm not going to cast you out. I went to a cross and died for you so that I could bring you in. I rose again to new life so I could help you. Condemnation is the enemy condemning us and saying, this is who you are. You are nothing to God and run and hide and cover up. But the spirit which convicts says, no, no, no. Yes, there is sin. That is true. But the lie is how God feels about you, God's disposition toward you. So you can quote things with your words like Romans 8.33, which says, Who can bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. I'm not justified before God. God doesn't love me. God doesn't accept me because of me. And how good I am. That's not the gospel. God loves and accepts me because of him. How good he is. Parents, we know this. i got four children. There's so much sin in my house. Every day there's sin. And they've, they've got thoughts like they might use words, but in their mind there's weapons that they're using against each other. My, my two oldest, it's like, man, do you even love each other? Please, just love each other. Why do you always have to fight and say things? And there's, there's lies and there's all this sort of stuff. Never once do I look at my kids and go, well, you're not my kids anymore and I don't love you. My heart as a father, and I'm a broken, sinful father, goes towards my kids and says, no, 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 come to me with that stuff. Let me help you with that stuff. I want to grow my kids. And if that's me, how much so God? What justifies my kids, what makes them my kids, has nothing to do with their behavior. It has everything to do with the fact that I am their father and mum is their mum and that is it. How much more so for your father in heaven? So who shall bring any charge against God elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate you from the love of God? Do you know what the answer to that is? No one can. 
But the accuser will try and tell you that that's not true. And so you need to turn around and give him the truth. And that truth is not found in human wisdom. It's found in the book. If I am not condemned, objectively not condemned, God wants me to subjectively feel and experience that. And I can tell you, it has taken a while for me to believe this, but I now believe it every single day. I've had some horrible, horrible days. And my God loves me. And my God picks me up on those days. And my God calls me and says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will help you. I will grow you. So watch your words. Watch your focus and your thoughts. Do you rehearse your past sins over and over in your mind? Are you one of those people who constantly look back to, yes, but I did? Back there, this happened. I chose if that's you, that's an attack of the enemy. Don't go back to what you did. Go further. Go back to what he did. So as the enemy points you towards your past, go, thank you. That's right, there's an even further past. There's a past that was 2,000 years ago. So thank you for pointing me in the direction. I'm going to go back to that past, which tells me in my present that I'm actually right before God. And he loves me, so I'm going to turn to him. Another example. Satan continues to tempt us. He doesn't just accuse us, but he wants to tempt us to unrighteous behavior and conduct. And again, this may resonate with some of us in the room. But my biggest, my biggest sin, I think, that led me to believe that God couldn't love me, God couldn't accept me, God couldn't use me, was anger. I've had in my heart this thing of just, man, I would just get so angry all the time. I've punched many a hole in a wall in my home out of anger. And in those moments when I punch that wall and I'm angry, I walk away and I hate myself and I'm a terrible dad and I'm a blah, 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 blah. And one of the things is doing what we just said, coming against the enemy and not believing those lies. But the other thing I needed to do was not just accept that to be true, but then work on, well, how do I work on my anger? So that in one years, two years, three years, five years, I don't wrestle with that like I did five years ago. So for me, I went to counselling. I went to a Christian counsellor. I'm like, hey, listen, I got all this stuff in my heart. I don't, I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know why it's coming out of me. This wasn't here before. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And I'm exploding over nothing. And it's wrong. So it's doing both. It's working against the accusation to say that God can't love you because of it. But then it's also on the front end saying, but I'm going to work with the Holy Spirit to change it. So one of the things we started doing as a family, and I really want to encourage you is this, is with our kids, we work on two fruits of the Spirit every term. And we try to pray for these fruits of the Spirit for an entire term. So every night and every day, we will actually get with our kids and we'll say, hey, okay, so you're working on patience and you're working on kindness. Where did you see God give you opportunity to grow in that today? And when they do, we celebrate the power of God to transform their lives. And when they don't, we remind them of the gospel truth that God loves them and has forgiven them for that and promises to help them. So let's go again tomorrow. And then my kids have joined me on the journey and I've been working on self-control for a lot of years. They go for terms, I go for decades. <laughs> but they're with me in it. 
So early on, it was like an area that I want to work on is patience and self-control. So I spent literally two years praying for those things and working with those things for two years. And I can now tell you about six or seven years later, it is very, very hard to get me angry with my kids. Because I'm a good guy? No. I'm a bad guy. I'm a broken guy. But the imparted righteousness of God and working with the Holy Spirit to say, I am going to fight against that, to not give the devil a foothold into my life. And now I'm still aware of it. It's still there. But I'm much, much stronger because of the power of God. And I want to encourage you, this is how you fight with righteousness. You stand against the accusations that God doesn't love you, that God can't accept you, that you're unacceptable to him. That is a lie. Because of Jesus, any and all are acceptable before God. And that God rose again to new life and has given you that in your heart. Work with it. Pray. Find those things that you're like, you know what, this is an area where I'm weak and I want to get strong. And so bring another brother or sister or someone in your life group or whatever it is you do and say, hey, this is an area. And then pray for those things and pray for those things. And every time you have a victory, celebrate the victory. Thank God for the victory. Every time you stumble, turn back to God and say, God, I stumbled. I know you forgive me. I confess my sin. And then get back on that train and fight again. And I guarantee you, it may take a while, but there will be things in your life which will go. And you'll be like, man, I may not be that guy or that girl, but I'm not that guy or that girl. I'm a new creation and God is changing me. Amen? This is what we can have because of the power of God in our lives. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others. But please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.